Aren't you thankful? Amen. Well, it's good to have Brother Myers here tonight with us. Amen. One of my most favorite people of the universe. Amen. Praise the Lord. At this time, we want him, the Lone Ranger, to come. Amen. They'll find out about it when they get back. If you weren't here this morning, you don't understand that. <laughs> oh, man. I thought Brother and Sister Olson had just come back early because they wanted to see me, but... When they told me about their living conditions up there, then I understand why they're back so early. <laughs> Amen. Boy, what a great surprise to see them here tonight and to be with them and all of you. Isn't this a great service? We're just having a good time with the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. I tell you what I like about you guys. You guys just have fun having church and serving God. Serving God ought to be fun. I've always believed that. Hallelujah. We ought to be the examples of joy in this world. Isn't that right? Yeah. The examples of people having fun and joy and know that it's the right kind of joy. You have your Bibles? I turn your attention to the book of Genesis, chapter 35. And uh, we want to start reading in verse 16. Genesis, chapter 35, and verse 16. I'm taking my watch off. It, does, it doesn't really mean anything. Because I may not look at it, but at least I have taken it off. Last Sunday... Uh, Things are really bad in the watch department. I'm wearing a She's for Christ watch. <laughs> Not only that, it's a 1995 Victory to Victory She's for Christ watch. But uh, last uh, Sunday, I busted my watch. You know, you're preaching too hard when you bust your watch. And it shattered in about eight pieces in the middle of the sermon. So uh, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> It just comes natural. <laughs> Genesis, Genesis chapter 35, and we begin reading in verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died that she called his name Benoni, which, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And that is true. I have been to that very spot, and they have her tomb there, and they have two Israeli or three Israeli soldiers guarding, and it is in Bethlehem. And Rachel died there, giving birth to this boy that she named Benoni which is to be interpreted the son of sorrow but Jacob said his name will not be the Benoni his life will not be the representation of sorrow but he named him Benjamin which is being interpreted the son of the right hand or the son of power hey, everybody say power I don't know about you, but I like sermons that have good titles. Something that you can just kind of hang on to, you know, whenever you, you, you think about what was preached, you can remember the title and it's a handle, something that you can just carry with you. I don't have a good title tonight. <laughs> I really wish I did. But uh, this is my title. Benjamin's brother and it is kind of unique because they both have B's in the beginning of them so 
Try to hang on to that. Benjamin's brother. Under the reading of the Word of God, everybody said in Jesus' name. Before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and say, I want to be Benjamin's brother. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that likes things that are powerful. I like cars that have big engines that when you press on the gas, they will move. I have a, uh, an old truck that um, when you step on the gas, uh, a rattle starts to take place under the hood. <laughs> it sounds like an old Singer sewing machine. And uh, it doesn't move. It just sort of grunts and groans and rattles and spews out smoke. And it's not very powerful. But I like things that have power. I like, I like them big trucks. In fact, when I was a kid, I didn't want one of them little dinky trucks that you play in the mud with. You want one of those big, tough Tonka trucks that can haul around all sorts of little mud pies. I mean, you want to get a toy, you want something that's pretty tough. You know, you want something that's pretty powerful. Planes, you know, you want a plane that can really be powerful if you're going to have a plane. And uh, not fly one of these little bitty planes that just neat and just doesn't it, it just doesn't have any power to it. In fact, I had the opportunity a few months ago. I was in Northern California, and I had the opportunity to go hang gliding off those cliffs in the Pacific Ocean. And uh, I found out right away that even though that was exhilarating and fun, just being totally susceptible to the wind and what it's going to do is a scary feeling. <laughs> I jumped off a cliff and flew out over the water, the Pacific Ocean, and I looked like a walrus strapped to the belly of an eagle. It was not pretty. <laughs> if I ever get in the air again, I want something that has an engine, more than one engine. <laughs> Some people like sailboats where you can just get out there and the wind will take you. Not me. I want like a 250 Mercury behind me just spewing smoke and, and all sorts of smog in the air. That's what having fun is. So, <laughs> Some people like these sailboards. You know, you just stand on the board and the wind will take the sail. Not me. I want to get out there on a jet ski or something that's going to, you know, got some noise, it's got some power that's going to move out. And, and so we're, I think most people are like that. We... We, we like things of power. In fact, if I'm even going to root for a team, I want it to be a team that has power. <laughs> Not a team that loses all the time, like the Jaguars or anything like that. <laughs> Nothing like getting the audience on your side. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're going to root for a team, you might as well root for one that's winning. And I have a friend who is about 300 pounds and about probably at the most 15% body fat. I mean, he's just massive. And he says this, you can tell by looking at me, I'm not built for speed, I'm built for power. Well, I got news for you, I'm not built for speed or power. <laughs> but if you've got to take a choice, I guess power is the one you want to go with. But that's what's so neat about serving God. In fact, he is so powerful that it is not a chore to serve him. It's not a difficult task. It's not a pill to take. It's not uh, something that's hard to convince others. Because you're not asking them to follow a, a puny God. The God that I know and the God that you know and the God that we have felt in this service tonight is a God of all power. In fact, the Bible said heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. you but that's an awful big nike that can just put itself down right on the whole universe the big news this week and last week is they think they found life on mars because they found something on a rock that was a meteorite that they think came from mars that floated around out in the galaxies for a long time and then landed here and they're all amazed and they think now there may be life on mars i don't know i doubt there's life on mars but i know there's life beyond mars he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Beside him there is no God, no other God. There is no other name under heaven given among all men. And his power is at the disposal of you and I. 
That's why don't feel sorry for me because I'm serving God. But I feel like I should warn you. I have a power source that is available to me. And it's powerful. And Jacob said, no, no. Our boy is not going to be the son of sorrow. He loved Rachel. In fact, he loved Rachel more than he did Leah. That's why he loved the two sons that came from Rachel, Benjamin and Joseph, so much. And as much as he missed Rachel and as much as he loved her, he was not going to allow that boy to live his whole life in the mully grubs, being defeated before he, ever, before he can even get to first grade. What's your name? Benoni. Ooh, son of sorrow. She named him and died. Jacob said, no, no. His name is Benjamin, which is the son of power. <laughs> oh, my. Some of us need to get renamed. Instead of being Miss Patty Pity Party, we need to be Miss Patty Prayer Power. Got to quit sucking our thumb and start using our power. You see, because we live in a society that has all kinds of excuses. Yeah, it's because my parents locked me in the closet when I was a kid. It's because the, the teacher made me sit in the corner. That's the way I'm, that's why I'm the way I am. And we got everybody running around on Oprah and everything else trying to blame this one and blame that and blaming that parent. And everybody's got some excuse. And if you don't, the world will provide one for you. And we got everybody living in the past, living in the sun of their soul. Everybody's running around as Benoni's. And I found out something. Once you come in contact with God, you don't have to live your life as a son of sorrow. If you've known God, He has renamed you and given you power so that you don't have to live your life in sorrow and in depression. Now, Brother Myers, you're just not compassionate. I'm sure that's what they said of Jacob. What a second. His name is Benoni. Oh, no. It's going to be Benjamin. All power. And Benjamin had an older brother by the name of Judah. How many of you know what Judah means? Praise. Now, remember this. Praise and power were brothers. All right? Benjamin and Judah. And there came a time whenever they were so mad at their brother, Joseph, that they decided they were going to kill him. Put him in a pit. And Judah, the oldest of the brothers... Say, let's not kill him. Let's make some money out of the deal. <laughs> Here comes a band of merry men down the trail. Let's sell him. He'll be a slave and go to Egypt. The brother said, that makes sense. At least we'll get rid of him. We'll make a little bit of money out of it. So Judah has now stepped in to save his life, but he didn't really rescue him either. He compromised. And while he was, in comprom while he was compromising, they were in trouble. And there came a time after the Lord blessed Joseph, and he's now vice president of Egypt, and there's famine through all the land, that the brothers now have to go, and Jacob sends all of his boys and says, go to Egypt. They got grain. And so all the brothers head down to Egypt. And when they come there, all of a sudden, their older brother, their brother now, the one that they've sold into slavery, he's standing up there deciding how much grain they get. He says, you guys got any more brothers? Yeah, we got one more, Benjamin. Next time you come back, bring him. So they go back and they say, Dad, we run out of food. we got to bring Benjamin back. And, and, and Jacob said, no, no. I've already lost my other son, Joseph. I am not going to lose Benjamin. But when the food ran out, he began to rethink his position. And finally, Judah stepped in and said, Dad, I won't come back empty-handed. I'll bring Benjamin back. I promise you. And so they go down there. And there's Joseph, and he sees his brother Benjamin. Oh, that was his full brother. The rest of them were half-brothers, but Benjamin was his full brother. And he looked, and oh, man, he, wanted, he just, his heart poured, and he wanted to reveal himself, but he didn't at that point. He said, i got to test him. i got to see if Judah has learned his lesson yet. And so as a result of that, he took a little goblet, and he hid it in the bag down the bottom of, of the bag of grain that Benjamin had, like a prize in the bottom of a cereal box, you know? Man, I used to love them things when I was a kid. Some Russian decoder or something's in the bottom of this cereal box. My mom said, you are not going to eat Fruit Loops. Yes, I am. I promise I will. As soon as I get home, I'm dumping things in them Tupperware bowls and get that prize that's in the bottom. And they put a goblet in the bottom of his little bag. And so after a little while, they got down the road, and, and Joseph sent the guards and said, go get them. They stole one of my goblets. And they got down there, and they looked through all the bags. They said, ah, here he is. Here's the culprit. And all the brothers said, we'll go back with him. They got back there, and Joseph said, nope, I'm keeping him. He's the one that had the goblet on his possession. And now he's testing them. 
He's going to hold power. Now watch this. He's going to hold power. And the only thing that's going to deliver power is praise. And now Judah steps in. And Judah says, no, no. Now, Judah could have just got caught up with all the glitz and the glamour of Egypt. He could have saved his own hide and said, yeah, he shouldn't have stolen him. I don't know. We've had a problem. He's been a kleptomaniac since he was a little boy. They all could have turned and hightailed. That's what they did with Joseph. That's what Judah did with Joseph. He saved his life, but he also saved his, he saved Joseph's life. He's also worried about himself. So he compromised, but now Joseph was forcing him into a position of taking one side or the other. I'm telling you what, some of you already know where I'm headed. And so now he finds out that Judah's heart is right. Boy, it's incredible to read the story too. Because Judah says, no, my father will die. Let this young man go back. I will stand in his stead. I will stay with you. Praise comes to the rescue of power. And then Joseph can't handle it any longer. And he sends all the guards out of the room. And he breaks down. He begins to cry. And when you read in Genesis 45.1, it's incredible. Joseph couldn't refrain himself because all of them stood by. He cried, caused every man to go out of the room. And he there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Everybody and all the other rooms heard it he was crying so loud he was crying and he was weeping and he said to his brother i am joseph doth my father yet live and his brethren could not answer him for they were all troubled at his presence can you imagine that and now there's this beautiful reunion they said dad is alive and he said bring jacob Bring my father to the promised land. And they're all in a big huddle. And they're hugging each other. And there's a tremendous reunion. Why? Because praise came to the rescue of power. Can I tell you today, if we are to see the power of God, we are going to have to get our praise off of Egypt. We're going to have to get our praise out of Egypt. And we're going to have to put our praise in the right direction. And that is why I have breath. As David said in the Psalms of old, if I've got breath, I will lift up my praise unto thee. Over God Almighty. What does it take when a person receives the Holy Ghost? That's power. That comes as a result of praise. When a person gets healed, that's power. Anointed power. It comes as a result of people praising Him. And if you ever want power, you're going to find it with praise. And when power and praise came together, it was an incredible reunion so that the bitterness the past was healed and was washed away and Judah now had learned his rightful place his rightful place was alongside of his brother sometimes folks it seems like power has disappeared in fact when you look throughout the Old Testament the Lord would move sporadically upon people the Bible says men of old they wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit but it moved on and then it would move away and so throughout the Old Testament, 6,000 years of history, you'll find that the Holy Ghost would move and then it would withdraw and move and withdraw. And the Holy Spirit of God just, whoosh, whoosh, like the wind, it would just come and then it would go. And power would be present and then it would be absent. The Red Sea would open then it would close up. And the ground was dry. And it had to constantly go back and seek God. And it was there. And it withdrew. And it was there. And it withdrew. And this went on for 6,000 years in the Old Testament. And then in between the Old and the New Testament is 400 years of silence. We don't know what took place there. It seems like all heavens dried up. There's nothing going on. 400 years of silence. And then, ha, in the New Testament, God Almighty robes himself in flesh. It is not by accident that he's born in Bethlehem. You remember what else took place in Bethlehem? Benjamin was born. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He is the son of power. He's born in Bethlehem, but he keeps his power disguised. Remember, all throughout the Old Testament, it would be there, then it was gone. There and then gone. 400 years of silence in between the Old and New Testament. Nothing. And now the New Testament, and he's got his power disguised once again. He comes, and he's born in a manger. He doesn't come on a big white royal horse with a big robe, and the most wealthiest parents could be found in all the land of Judah. No, he comes in a manger. He's born in a very humble state. Few wise men know about it. Few shepherds know about it. For the most part, nobody knows about it. He's born in a very humble state. And then for 30 years, he keeps all of his power hidden. We don't find any example of any power. If you were his next door neighbor and you were growing up, you'd just think he was a nice young man. You know how somebody becomes famous or commits a crime or something, and everybody next door neighbor say, he was a quiet young man. <laughs> they don't always say that. They interview classmates from the second grade, you know. 
If you were Jesus' the next door neighbor, you wouldn't know. Yeah, he's come over and cut our grass a few times. He was just a normal guy. He didn't stand out in the backyard and practice calling fire down from him. Like David Copperfield. He wasn't out there demonstrating his power. He kept it all under wraps. Kept it safely tucked away. But finally, his power responds to a need. And there they are to win. 30 years, he's kept it all hidden. Someone says, we need, we've got to have some wine. We've got to have the party. Can't go on. Da, da, da. Panic, 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 panic. They go tell his mother, Mary, what are we going to do? Mary says, go see Jesus. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> she knew. And then the Lord turns water and wine. All of a sudden, word gets out. And then Jesus starts healing people. But every time he heals somebody, you read it in the New Testament. You know what he tells them? Don't tell nobody. Can you imagine that? He's blind Bartimaeus. The guy's been blind. Now he's walking around. And his friends come up to him and say, Hey, how you doing, Bartimaeus? Doing fine. Where's your, where's your walking stick? Sold it in a garage sale. How many fingers am I holding up? How do you keep it quiet? He tells them all, Don't tell nobody. What was he doing? Keeping power under wraps. Folks, he still operates the same way today. He's got all power heaven and earth. Somebody stands out. I can't believe the people in America that can do it. But they'll curse God, curse God, just curse God, curse God. And the Lord could zap him in a heartbeat and he doesn't do it. Keeps his power under wraps. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> but there came a time when he rode into Jerusalem. And we've always performed it in the passion plays. And he comes in the triumphant entry. It wasn't set up like that. They didn't have an advanced team that went out and said, okay, we're going to have secret service guys. You know, like you and Brother Ron were today when they picked me up at the motel. I come out of the elevator. They're both standing there. Like they got walkie-talkies on each side of the elevator. I walk out in the elevator. They both grab me with one arm. They walk through the lobby going, Bob, he's coming out right now. We've got him. When he came into Jerusalem, all that wasn't going on. He was, I mean, he didn't come in on a big white stallion. He came in on a donkey. That's the equivalent of that old red truck I've got. But he gets close to Jerusalem, and the word gets out. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You ever heard about in the old days? Some of you may remember this. When the circus was going to come to town, there's some kids seeing them put a big poster up. The circus is coming. The circus is coming. And the word would get out and go all throughout the town. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The word gets out. All of a sudden someone says, here's some palm branches. Get everybody together. He's coming. He's only about a mile away. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And the word gets out. And so all of a sudden when Jesus comes into town, all of these kids, all of these people are worshiping. They're magnifying him saying, Hosanna. Hosanna. They're worshiping him. And Jesus comes into the town. And the Pharisees, they just, oh, they're so upset. The reason is because they weren't getting the praise. And they said, why, you should not have these children worship in you. And Jesus said something. He says, if they don't worship me, the very rocks will cry out. In other words, praise will always uncover power. You can try to keep power hid. You can try to keep it in a corner. You can try to keep it in a box. But eventually the box is going to cry out. Hear me now. There is something supernatural that takes place when God's people begin to praise Him. Power responds. It doesn't come by choice. It is something that happens automatically. And you can't stop it. He had tried to keep it quiet. He had tried to keep it still. But all of a sudden, praise starts to break forth. Praise starts to break out. And Jesus says, if they don't praise me, the very rocks are going to cry out. The power of God can only stay hidden long enough. When you bring out praise, praise always reveals power. Judah will always find his brother. And when he finds his brother, all of a sudden, power will begin to demonstrate itself. They are inseparable. Egypt cannot keep them apart. Jerusalem cannot keep them apart. They merge every time. They merge. And all throughout the Old Testament, you probably read it, there's a city that's always referred to as Bethlehem Judah they came together and they came together in a mighty way and hear me now as an apostolic church in this last day what we've got to be is Bethlehem Judah we've got to have the praise and if we've got the praise he will provide the power (laughs) 
And first Samuel, they wanted a king. The Lord told Samuel, go down to the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And his son there, one of his sons, will be the chosen king. And you anoint him. He wasn't going to become king at that moment, but he was going to have, as it were, a future interest. One day you'll be king. And so the anointing takes place after they go through the selection process of the older brothers. Finally, they find David on the back hills. They bring him in. He's anointed to be king. But at that time, he did not become king. He was a Bethlehemite. Power was bestowed upon him, but it was not a possessory interest yet. It was only a future interest. But then when you read over, after he's had all of his battles running from King Saul and hiding in caves, when you read over in 2 Samuel chapter 2, you'll find that they anointed him king. And guess who it was that anointed him king? It was the house of Judah that anointed David as king. And that turned his future interest into a present possessory interest. Now you and I can know that we have the power of God at our disposal. We've already been told that. We've been educated way beyond our level of obedience. We know that power is available. We know it's at our disposal. We know that one day we're going to sit with the Lord. We're going to rule over all the cities. And we all kind of kiddingly pick out what city we want to be mayor of. We know there's power that's available. But for the power to be turned into a future interest, back to a possessory interest, it takes the house of Judah or the people of God praising Him for that power to be present and active in my life. And then over in Genesis chapter 49 verse 8, you don't have to turn there, just take my word for it. In Genesis chapter 49 verse 8, Jacob's telling his, his sons all what they're going to do and what they're going to be and how powerful their names are. And he's pretty honest with them. He tells them all the good things and the bad things. The Lord's using them as a prophet. He tells Judah this in Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, thou art he whom thy brother shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. It means you're going to win a lot of battles. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? And then verse 10 says, the scepter, the scepter, that's the authority, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Everybody say Shiloh. Shiloh means peace or comfort. Whenever comfort comes, some things are going to change. And then it says, until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now the men of Israel have sworn to Mizpah, saying, There shall not any of us give his daughter unto Benjamin his wife. Now we find over in Judges when we read that there came a time whenever the sons of Benjamin and the sons of Judah were having problems. They were like the Hatfields and McCoys. They were fighting. And so you know what? You know what all the, you know what all the, house, of, uh, you know what all the house of Judah did? They killed off all the women in the tribe of Benjamin. They said, there just won't be any more of them after these guys die. That's it. We'll make them stop reproducing. In fact, they said, we're not going to let any of those. Nobody, no, we're not, y'all ain't going to come over here and get our wives either. Nobody, y'all are not going to survive this generation. And they had crossed up. Man, I'll tell you what, people always trying to limit God's power. They have thought for years that if they just persecuted the Christians, they'd just go away. But every time they did, folks, the church got stronger underground. And it would just start to build and grow and get more and more powerful. And so we find that the sons of Judah have tried to starve out the sons of Benjamin. But guess what happened to Benjamin? Over in Judges chapter 21 and verse 12 says, And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead. Uh-oh. What tribe is that? They found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins that had not known no man by line with any male, and they brought them unto the camp to Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Watch this, folks. It's going to blow your little mind. Watch this. Then they said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord in Shiloh. We're fixing to have a big-time party in Shiloh. General conference. It says they're yearly. Look at it. 
Judges 21, 19. Behold, there is a feast of the Lord in Shiloh yearly. Isn't that the conference? In a place which is on the north side of Bethel. Listen to this, folks. And here's, this, here's Benjamin's gang telling all the boys how they're going to find a wife. On the east side of the highway that goeth up from Bethel to Sishem and on the south of Lebanon, and see and behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in dances, get you one that's worshiping. Then, listen to this. This is, this is the way they used to date in the Old Testament. Then come ye out of the vineyards and catch you every man his wife of the daughters of Shiloh and bring them back to the land of Benjamin. Sound like a singles conference, doesn't it? <laughs> so here's all these guys. They've been down to Shiloh, man. They've been to General Conference. They've been down there having themselves a big time. They've been worshiping the Lord. And all the sons of Benjamin, they're all coming back to the land of Benjamin. And they're bringing a souvenir. Hey, what you guys got there? Got myself a souvenir. Got myself a wife. I mean, this was like Flintstones, you know. Fred bringing pebbles or what's the mama's name? Man, y'all wait. Y'all know way too much about this stuff. Wilma. Come on, Wilma. And here's the thing about it. Judah thought they could starve out the sons of Benjamin. But Benjamin said, we'll find our daughters worshiping from another tribe, and they will be the ones that will have the inheritance. And the Lord had prophesied that through Jacob to his son Judah many years before. He said, things are going to change in Shiloh. Now, folks, let me just say this as plain as I can. You can try to keep God in a corner, and the Gentiles, or the Jews, try to do this. Whenever the Lord came, the Bible said he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came to the Jews, and they just, they just thumbed their nose at him. They didn't care anything about him. And you know what he did? He turned to the Gentiles, because the Gentiles were over in the corner, like the daughters of Jabe Jeff Gilead. They were just worshiping the Lord. <laughs> oh, yeah. When he told the South Phoenician woman, look, the dogs aren't allowed to eat the crumbs of all the masters. They were, oh, yeah, I may be a dog, but I will get what I can. And the Lord said, I've not seen so great faith, not at all Jerusalem. What does that mean? The Lord said, hey, I'm going to have a people that's going to praise me. If it's not going to be the Jews, it'll be the Gentile. But God will always, God will always have a people that will worship him. I just broke the pulpit. Man, oh man. That was my best point of the entire sermon. Fix that thing. I can't stand a flimsy pulpit. <laughs> Woo! Don't hit it again. Now think about this. It is inevitable that God is going to have a people that will praise Him. Because Benjamin power will always have a Judah praise. And folks, if we don't praise him, somebody else will. There ain't nobody that's got a franchise on God. I've heard people say, well, you know, you don't come out of my chimney, it ain't smoke. But God's going to have to move through the apostasy of the Pentecostal. Hear me now. If we just all get complacent and sit down and just, oh, patty cake for Jesus, and we kick back and think that God's going to have to move through us, he'll find somebody from the daughters of Jabesh Gilead. He'll find somebody that's worshiping God. Because watch this. When he gets ready to come back for his bride, what was a part of the daughters of Jabesh Gilead? Number one, they were pure. The Bible said he's going to come back for a church that is spotless and without a wrinkle. And number two, they were worshipers. If you want to be a part of the bride, if you want Benjamin, to take you as a part of the bride. you got to be pure and you got to know how to worship. He's going to find a bride among the worshipers. Hey, this ain't the time to get independent of God. This ought to be the time that we're worshiping Him. Oh, somebody clap your hands under Him. You can't starve God out. The rocks will cry out. Somebody will praise Him. He will find eight people.
Can I say something right now? You can't stop the church from growing. I don't care what kind of attitude you get or don't get. God's going to have a people that's going to praise Him. And there ain't nobody that's going to hold God over a barrel. God's going to have to move through me and my God. The church will shut down if I leave. Hear me now. The church will continue on. God will have a people with or without me. There's going to be somebody that will praise Him. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the bride. I want to be a part of the bride. I was listening not that long ago to uh, the oral arguments before the Supreme Court in 1963 that got prayer out of schools. Two bro- two, a brother and a sister. Donna and Roger. Shimp. The name of the case was Shimp versus Abington County. Abington County was a school system in Pennsylvania. And a brother and a sister challenged the school system in Pennsylvania. And they said, we don't think that it's right when we go to school to have to pray. And for ten verses of the Bible to be read over the PA system, it offends us. Chief Justice Warren welcomed the Shemp's lawyer, Henry Sawyer. Mr. Sawyer, Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court, you cannot separate the moral leaven from the religious leaven in the Bible. I think the two go absolutely together, and it teaches. They say it doesn't proselytize. It teaches. The book teaches from the opening chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelations. It teaches. It teaches the way... The world was created, and it, be, it teaches in a sectarian sense from the opening. From the very opening, it says, And lo, the Spirit was upon the waters. And in the King James Version, and I'm sure the Douay Version, that word is capitalized. It means the Holy Ghost. This is the beginning of a teaching of the concept of Trinity. It teaches. The New Testament is a teaching message. When Jesus said, Others have said unto you, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, Thou shalt resist not evil. And if one smites thee upon one cheek, and so on. This is teaching. And it was highly controversial teaching then, and I submit to your honors, it's highly controversial teaching now. Men do not agree about these things. That's a man by the name of Sawyer. He was the lawyer that represented the children in 1963. And that's the actual oral argument. You won't hear this anywhere else. And he stands up there, and he says, that you cannot separate the morality from the religious teaching. You can't separate the moral leaven from the religious leaven. That's what he said at the very beginning. And so he makes a statement that you cannot separate the religious teaching of the Bible from the morality teaching of the Bible. And he's right. And what's wrong with both of them? And then a little bit later, they say this. A fellow by the name of Professor Gazelle, Solomon Gazelle, who was a Jewish scholar, he told the lower court this. He said, parts of the New Testament were offensive to, Jew- to Jewish tradition. Verses about Jesus as Messiah could be psychologically harmful to Jewish and other non-Christian students. In other words, this Jewish scholar says, we are psychologically harmed when we have to listen to readings of the New Testament. Those are the people that he came for. And they didn't receive him. And you know the thing I have to say to that? Every time I hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain, I am psychologically harmed. But that don't stop Hollywood from producing all their junk. That doesn't stop everybody else from yapping and saying all that they do. What are you saying tonight, preacher? I'm saying that you can't stop people from worshiping God. If you take prayer out of the schools, you can't take it out of the home. You can't take it out of the church. You can't take it out of somebody's heart. I don't care what law you pass or what legislation goes through. There's always going to be a people that will worship God. He's going to have a people that will praise Him. And the counselor, the counselor, Sawyer, he goes on in his whole argument before the Supreme Court and says this. The New Testament, uh, the concept of Christ, a man who historically lived, as being the Son of God is, as Dr. Grazel testified to Judaism, a blasphemy. This was, in fact, Christ's 
crime. It is a blasphemy. You can't gloss this over by saying there's some minor differences. He pointed out that there's ridicule of the Jewish hierarchy throughout the New Testament. Uh, he pointed out, uh, the, and think of it, gentlemen, the scene of the trial of Jesus before Pilate. Listen to this. Uh, he said this has been where, where, where the multitude cries not for Barabbas, but for Jesus. And Pilate washes his hands. And the version exculpates the Romans for the death of Christ. And then uh, the Jews say, and they're so described, they say, his blood be upon us and our children. And Dr. Grazel said that sentence has been responsible for more anti-Semitism than any single sentence in history, and I can't doubt it. So, and you know what my response to that is? Now that prayer has been taken out of schools for 32, 33 years, and kids are carrying handguns to school, and rape is up, and murder is up, on whose hands is that blood? On whose hands is that blood? Do you see what the world is trying to do, folks? They are playing Judah of Joseph. They're compromising. They're not trying to kill the Christians, but we got to get the Christians to live with everybody else and not force their beliefs on everyone else. They've not learned yet, and it's easy for the church to lose the lesson. They've not learned yet that until they get the revelation that Judah got when he stood in the place of his brother Benjamin and said, I don't care all of Egypt and all the power of Egypt and all the power of the world. This is my brother. This is the son of power. And you will not take him until the church gets a revelation that says, hey, you can't keep us in a box. You can't keep us in a corner. You can't legislate faith and matters of the heart. There is no majority in the land that can keep faith as a matter of the heart confined into a limited area. Praise will always break forth. Praise will always break forth. You can't stop it. And where did it all change at? Shiloh. You remember Shiloh? It's where it changed. That's whenever he said, the lawgiver is not going to matter anymore. The scepter now is going to be taken out of the hands of the lawgiver. It's going to be given Shiloh to the worshipers. It was prophesied before it happened. Then in Judges it happened. They found their wives, the bride. They found them from the daughters of Jabesh Gilead. Oh my, Shiloh. Acts chapter 2. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Guess what comes upon the scene? The Jews are in their temple doing their little They're going through their traditions. They got the royal robes. They've got all the little pigeon doves. They got all the little uh, things that they need. But there's a group of people that are gathered together in an upper room that are praising God, that are worshiping Him. And on the tenth day, the Son of Power said, I can't stop it any longer. Something is taking place at Shiloh. And all of a sudden, the Bible said that the power of God fell upon them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance and there fell upon them tongues as fire. Can I tell you today that when you worship God, the Lord sends the comforter and that comes upon the worshipers. And it takes place at Shiloh. In fact, when Paul, this is what I love, this all ties together. When Paul was preaching to the Gentiles, he established who he was. And he said over in uh, Philippians chapter 3, I am Benjamin. <laughs> I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. You need to know where my power, we don't have the power, but we have the ability to praise. We are Judah. And we can either praise and stand beside our God, or we can learn to compromise like Judah did with his brother Joseph. But whenever God's people say we will link arms and arms, with our brother there is some sort of a supernatural vision that takes place there's an internal combustion that takes place when the brothers get together when power and praise unite and folks sometimes it seems like power has hit its face from us 400 years of silence 6,000 years of the Holy Ghost movement sporadically in and out back and forth but it's Shiloh chapter 2 of Acts the Holy Ghost fell. It found a permanent place and the church was established. Oh, 
And if you ever start to feel like that God has hid his face from you, and you pray for God to heal you and nothing takes place, and you say, God, I know you're all power, but I don't seem to see it. I don't find it. You've not revealed yourself to me. Hear me now. It'll happen 100% of the time if you'll just praise him. Power always has to respond. Automatically. That's why it's so important to worship. People can't understand that. They come to our services and they don't understand it. Stand to your feet. I'm coming to a close. Some incredible things take place. Whenever the Lord was established in the tribes where they would stay, where they would camp. Numbers chapter 2 and verse 3. The Lord tells, the Lord tells Moses, make sure that Judah camps on the east side of the tabernacle. Toward the rising of the sun. In Ezekiel 48, verse 32, they said to the tribe of Benjamin, you camp on the east side of the city. Judah and Benjamin are both on the east side of the city. The Bible says when the Lord comes back for his bride, Brother Bishop, where is he coming? He's coming from the eastern sky. He's going to come back for a people that are looking for his appearing. It's not going to be the people camped on the west side that have gotten so occupied with the world that they've lost sight of their hope. But it's when Judah and Benjamin get together on the eastern side and say, I don't know what the rest of the world's going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to worship we're going to worship. We're going to worship. We're going to do all that we can to live a holy life. We're going to worship. And the Bible said he's going to come back for some worshipers that are without a wrinkle. Because at some point in time, after we've worshipped him, we've worshipped and worshipped to the point where there has to be a reunion. What's going to bring the second coming of the Lord to pass? It's going to be when we worship God so long that power can't stay away. That's when he told him when he came to Jerusalem, if you don't, the very rocks are going to cry out. You, got, you can't keep them apart. At some point, Benjamin and Judah are going to reunite. And the Bible said, there's going to be a reunion. And I like the song that says, there is going to be a meeting in the air. What's going to take place? Judah and Benjamin are going to be reunited. And I'd say to you tonight, church, you want to be a part of that bride? Get on the eastern side. Keep your eyes looked up toward the eastern sky. Don't get your eyes on all the troubles of this world. Look up. Look up. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. I said your redemption draweth nigh. Preacher, the world's getting worse. People are getting killed in the streets. The streets are unsafe. There's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of despair. Look up. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Oh, do you know all the trouble that's happening in Jerusalem? Oh, I don't know all about the trouble in Jerusalem. I know one thing. I've got my tent pitched on the eastern side. I've got one eye toward heaven. I've got one eye toward the rising of the sun. And I know one thing. If I can just worship, if I can just worship, if I can just worship, power, the son of power is going to take me home to be with him. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Come on now, there ought to be worship that'll break forth in this house right now. Lift up your voice, all you people, in the shout of triumph. Woo. Man, I feel like worshiping a little bit now. 
Can you feel his power? When you start to worship, you can feel his anointing. You can feel his power. Oh, I feel a spirit of worship in this place right now. He's looking for some true worshipers. It doesn't matter who your daddy was. It doesn't matter who your mama was. It doesn't matter if you're the son of sorrow in your past. If you learn how to worship, power will be present in your life. stay away when his people begin to worship him. Power cannot hide its face any longer. There's miracles in the midst of praise. There's power in the midst of praise. We're fixing a little worshiping right now. If you ain't comfortable in worship, you're not going to be comfortable in heaven because we're going to do it for eternity. We're not going to stop at 9 o'clock at night. We're not going to stop on Monday morning. When we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we're going to worship Him. For eternity, we're going to throw our crowns. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. Woo! Jesus, Jesus. Jesus! We're fixing to worship God now. Jesus, he cannot refuse your worship. He cannot refuse your worship. Can you start to feel it? It's like a wave. It's like a wave. It's starting to sweep through this building right now. I challenge you in the Holy Ghost. Get into it. Get in the middle of it. Get in the wake of Jesus. Get in the wake of Jesus. Are there some daughters of Jabez Gilead that will worship him at Shiloh in the dance? In the dance. being in Korea Dr. Cho's church the largest church on the face of the earth nearly 900,000 people as a membership 
They've got nine services on Sunday. And on one of those services, they had nearly 30,000 people in the building. And they said, let's pray. And those people begin to praise the Lord like this. Oh, God. Oh, God. And their hands. And they had to finally ring a bell to get them to quit worshiping. The power of God was present. And I told our church last Sunday, I said, we sort of looked down our nose at Brother Jim or, or Sister Sedano or Brother Bullard when they step out of their pew and they start to run around the aisle. We're not rude. We don't go up and say anything to them, but we kind of look at them a little funny because we've gotten so sophisticated that we've forgotten how to really worship God. And God said, I'm going to have a bride that'll kill their pride. He's not impressed with how fancy you're dressed. He wants to know, do you got a heart that'll worship? I'm not here to impress you, and you're not here to impress me, but we have found out if we worship, If we worship, if we worship, the power of God cannot stay away. Come on, church. I'm calling you tonight to a place of worship. I'm calling you tonight to a place of worship. If you're holy, but you've not learned how to worship, then that doesn't mean anything to God. He's looking for those that are worshiping. going to get the revelation tonight. Somebody is going to get a spirit of worship. Do you need a healing in your body? Forget about that. Start worshiping. Do you need the Holy Ghost? Forget about it. Start worshiping. You gotta worship in silo. Those of you that are ready to worship, those of you that are ready to be a part of the bride of Christ, I want you to step out of where you're standing in the pew. I don't care if you come to the front or you stay in the aisle, but if you want to worship God, come on, come on, get out where you can get a little room. Get ready. Get ready! Get ready! It's time to worship! It's time to worship! Come on now! I've got to worship! I've got to worship! I've got to worship! That's it, church. That's it, church. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I've got to worship. Come on now. Come on, worship like you never had before. That's it. Come on. Like an artesian well. Let worship break forth. Come on.
Jesus. 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 The healers in the house. Come on, young people. Where's the young people? Where's the young people? Let the young people break forth and pray. Come on, young people. Come on, young people. I'm going to be a worshiper. I'm going to be a worshiper. He's going to take a bride home about those that are worshiping him. Yes. I'm getting ready for the 